Hey everyone, and welcome to the Uncorked Corner podcast, where we cover the full spread of food and beverage industry topics. My name is Bianca, PR and marketing professional by day and food and wine connoisseur by night. And my name is Nick, an accountant with a passion for barbecue, beer, and whiskey. Today, we are welcoming back our previous podcast guest, Jim Denz of Island Dog Brewing. In this episode, we've reconnected with Jim to learn more about home brewing and how Island Dog is teaching their community about the trade. Keep listening to learn more about the tools you'll need, where Jim started, and what could possibly go wrong your first time around. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to us. With that said, let's welcome Jim back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today we have Jim Denz again here from Island Dog Brewing. Today we're going to be focusing less on Island Dog's beers and more on the beers that you'll be able to brew from home. So with that said, Jim, why don't you reintroduce yourself and let's get into Home Brewing 101. Yep, uh, my name is Jim. I'm the, I'm the founder and head brewer at Island Dog Brewing. We're located over in John Roberts Road in South Portland, Maine. Uh, we've been open just over three years and we uh, Brewing some really good beers. I got my Island Dog hat on right now. <laughs> I, I have I our, our new fall beer, our Boo. It's a pumpkin maple. Nice. Oh, that maple. sounds amazing. I might have to stop by and pick some of that up tomorrow, honestly. Yeah, Nick wears his hat in 50% of our podcast, so I just want to let you know that he's one of your biggest supporters. Thank you. <laughs> um, so to start off, of course, the first thing you need when you're getting into home brewing is the equipment. So before we even get into the process of home brewing, what is the primary equipment that a new home brewer needs to purchase to get started? So the real basic stuff you need is a kettle. I uh, use a kettle for boiling. Uh, stainless steel works best, and it doesn't have to be anything fancy. Uh, my first one was one I bought from a grocery store. They you, usually use to make soup or stock. And then you can get really fancy by really nice high-end ones, uh, temperature gauges and all kinds of controls on them. But something basic is a good way to start. Uh, and you need something to ferment in. Uh, you can either get a glass fermenter or they have the plastic bucket fermenters. Either one works fine. And those are the two basic things you need to start home brewing. And what size are those? How much space is that going to take up for someone uh, that typical wants to batch that? when you're home brewing is five gallons. Uh, so you have a five-gallon Six, six to eight gallon kettle to boil in and a five to six gallon fermenter. Uh, you can get a second one. Uh, so you get a primary and a secondary fermenter, but at least if you, have one, if you have one, you can get going. Awesome. And is there any other adjacent equipment that you might not need right away to get started or is that? Well, you need something to boil the kettle with. Uh, so it, some of people start, I started my stove and then I moved to like, um, the propane burners for like a turkey fryer, or you can use electric. I at one point had one of those induction heaters and I had a, a kettle that would work on there. If you want to do electric, like for doing in the basement, if you don't want to have propane. And then after that, once you get into it, there's all kinds of stuff you can buy in upgrades. There's no end to it, it's a, it's a fun hobby. Awesome, and for ingredients. So if I want to make my first batch of beer, where do I go for ingredients and how much of everything do I need to buy to make my first five gallon batch? One of the things, the way I started, the way a lot of people start is you buy recipe kits. So over at Maine Brewing Supply on uh, 4th Avenue in Portland, they're a really good uh, source locally. 
you log in there, you tell them you want to start, they'll get you set up or you can do it online and you can order kits and the kits will come with everything you need. Uh, when you start, usually a good way to start brewing is to start by doing extract. So you actually get uh, containers full of, basically it's a syrup, it's a condensed, uh, they take what we would do with an all grain batch, we'll talk about, they condense it down into like a syrup and that's your basis. So you put that in your kettle and you boil it. Uh, you get some hops depending on what kind of beer you're making and then you need yeast the basic ingredients. Usually you're doing only maybe six pounds of the of the of the uh, liquid extract or dry extract. It's about six pounds of that and then what would you turn to for hops for amounts? It, depending on the beer you're making anywhere from a half ounce to six ounces. Like you want to make a really aggressive hopped IPA uh, you're gonna use a lot more than if you're making a brown ale which you might use only an ounce or ounce and a half of hops. Got it. And I know last time we talked, we talked a little bit more in depth about the hops and the hop varieties. Uh, can you give us again a basic rundown of sort of, I guess, the East Coast versus West Coast style hops and hops from around the world? So when I started homebrewing in 91, you were very limited on what you get. You get some of the German noble hop varieties and you could get uh, some of the American hops. Now, as a homebrewer, you have access to every hop and more than brewers have, because we can only keep so many hops in a brewery. Uh, there's a couple good sources online and of course, main uh, brew supply. Uh, so like a, if you wanted to make like a New England IPA, the Mosaic and Simcoe, uh, Citra are, are, the, are the main hops you would use uh, to get that real juicy fruity, like grapefruit and citrus fruit flavors. Versus more traditional hops like Nugget and Williamette, uh, Cascade, Sterling, which is much more of a wet. Like, can you see the cat behind me? <laughs> Two of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, for more like the piney, uh, spicy notes you see like in West Coast and more traditional, like a brown ale or an English or German ale. Okay. When I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so you must have to start, so you must have started with like one specific type of beer. Did you just jump right in and try to brew a whole bunch at once? My first berry brewed was a wheat ale. Uh, at, when I started brewing, the internet was really new, so there wasn't a lot of resources. Uh, and I actually ordered a kit online from a company that's no longer uh, around anymore. I got the kit, I made my first batch, and it tasted very bready. It didn't come out great. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't really great. Uh, and then I kind of, as I like got going, I did more recipes to kind of get a better feel for it. The biggest thing when you're home brewing is cleaning everything. Most people's homebrew turns out with a bad flavor because they didn't clean the equipment properly or we left some of the cleaving agents behind. Uh, back in the day, there wasn't a lot. Now there's a, a star sand is one of the big ones used for sanitizing. It's a no rinse sanitizer. Use that like to clean your fermenter or any equipment that touches the beer after boil and you don't have to worry about getting infected with a wild yeast or bacteria. Cool. And for varieties of beer, what would you say, do you think the wheat ale is probably the easiest jumping off point? Uh, IPAs are probably easiest. Um, the hop flavor can cover up some mistakes. And a lot of people like that's really what's in that. People like those IPAs and you can make an IPA and hop it up as much as you want. Um, I've had some people homebrew that it was so hoppy, it was like chewing on a hop plant, but like, you, can, you can go for it when you're homebrewing. And you only, you only have to make yourself happy because you have five gallons of beer. And uh, so let's walk through the process from start to finish. 
homebrew and how am I going to make my first beer? So uh, when you do extract, it takes about two to three hours. Uh, you get your kettle, you put in three gallons of water, you get that boiling and that's where you add your extract. You want to boil the extract up. It helps break out, get the proteins out. It helps combine all the flavors together. And then you put your hops in during the boil. Some hops you might put at the beginning and boil for 60 minutes, depending on what you're making, or you might put it later in the boil. The earlier in the boil you put your hops, the more bitterness you get from the hops, but the less of that fruity and like flowery aroma you get in like a New England IPA. The later you put the hops, the more that citrus and all those notes that you get, especially dry hop, which is a putting the hop in the fermenter and not in the kettle. So you're talking about 60 minute boils, you have to get it up to boiling, boil for an hour. And you wanna cool it down to about 70 degrees when you add it to the fermenter so you can add your yeast. If you add it when the beer's word is too warm, it'll kill the yeast off. Yet when the word is too cool, the yeast may take forever to ferment. Somewhere around 70 degrees is good. And for yeast, because when I started brewing, there wasn't a lot of options. It was pretty much just dry yeast and there was ale, and a couple different kinds of ale and a lager yeast. Now you can get a hundred kinds of yeast, liquid, dried, all kinds of yeast from all over the world. So really you can, you can really have a lot of fun with trying different things when you're home brewing now. And uh, with, this, this is something I'm curious about, measuring out the water. Do you, do you use like just a stick thermometer or anything to measure it out to make sure it's at the right temperature? Yes. Uh, I had like uh, my, my original thermometer was just a long thermometer you use for like soup. It would stick on the edge of the kettle. And then you would, and well, of course, you obviously know when it's boiling. Uh, and as you're cooling it off, early on, I would just take the kettle and put it in ice water. Uh, that one of the first upgrades a lot of people get is a wort chiller. So you can cool that. So when you're boiling it, the beer is not beer until after it's fermented. It's called wort up until then. So you put it in there, that cools it down faster. The faster you cool it down, the better, because you have least chance of it getting infected with wild yeast. And then you add it to your fermenter. Uh, I used to, I start with glass fermenters and I had little strips that would go on it, basically a temperature gauge strip. So you sure it was at the right temperature. And then you pour your yeast in. There's a little cap you put on it that it's called a bubbler. So it has a rubber seal and a little plastic with water inside. So the CO2 can escape out, but air can't get in. So once you do your work, you cool it down, you add it to your fermenter, you put the yeast in, the yeast will start eating the sugar. It creates alcohol, heat, and carbon dioxide. And you want to let that carbon dioxide out. Uh, one of the early batches I made, uh, it, there was a lot of foam on the beer, a lot of head when it was fermenting. It plugged that up. And I came home one day and it had popped it out and my beer spread all over the ceiling of the kitchen. Huh. I didn't lose the batch, but it was really messed to clean up. And you, you learn from that. Uh, you <laughs> want to make sure you have enough room at the top. If you fill your fermenter up and you only have like 10% or less space, you're going to have a problem. So the bigger fermenter, the better. And now they have, I, before I had started brewing at and I opened Island Dog. My last one I had like was six and a half or seven gallon plastic, big plastic fermenter. Easy to clean and had plenty of room so that didn't happen anymore. So you guys have the Smash Dogs Homebrew Club. Is that something that you have a lot of involvement with or is that something that you've kind of passed off to your team that they run most of it? Or are you still like really actively involved with helping other homebrewers? I run, I run the homebrew club. So we meet at Island Dog Brewing the first Wednesday of the month. Uh, we meet at six, usually six to eight, and we, we have a pretty good show. We get between eight to 12 people on meeting, and we all sit around, people talk about what they're brewing, their new equipment, 
We also have a little Facebook page for people in the group. Uh, we had someone like in the middle of a brew day, they had a problem and they put uh, the problem out there and someone, someone was watching it back to them right away with suggestions. And then you can see everyone else is set up and we have everyone from people who brewed for the first time, people who have been brewing steady for 20 years and have really advanced equipment. And a couple of guys had brewed early on, stopped for 20 years and now wanted to get back into it again. So it's kind of a lot of fun. We had a little, uh, not, not quite a competition, but uh, I picked a touch of beer. The latest one was ESB, English Special Bitter, and everyone brewed a batch. And then this way everyone can try one of those beer. You can see how there's 12 different takes on the same beer. They all taste a little bit different. It's kind of unique. That is really cool. And to get back into the brewing of the beer, so that fermenting process, how long, again, did you let that ferment? So depending on the style and how much alcohol you want to get out of it, typically it's four to 10 days. Every once in a while it'll take longer. Sometimes you'll get one that's really warm and it'll like a wheat ale or like a goza or something and it may ferment out in three days or two days. And a lager gonna take much, much longer if you're doing a cool temperature, but usually seven days to two weeks and, this, and the fermentation's done. What's and the so indicator that you know when that's done? So uh, the bubbling. So as the yeast eats all the sugar, the bubbling will slow down. Bless you. Until the bubbling, until it stops bubbling and it's all Thanks. gone. And on the professional brewing, we'll actually take samples of the beer from the fermenter to see how much sugar is left until it's gone. Uh, but when you only have five gallons back, you want to keep drawing out beer for a test because you won't have anything left when you're uh, finished. Uh, so you mentioned briefly there that uh, the lagers, for example, would take longer and different beers would take longer to ferment. Uh, so is there any other steps along the way that would be different for the various styles of beer that you might be brewing? Uh, yeah, so uh, so the dip, depending on what kind of beer, your, your original, your um, liquid extracts can be different. Uh, the hops will be different and you will use different yeast strains. That's one of the really advantages when you're homebrew. You can use every yeast you want different times. You don't have to worry about cross-contamination because generally you do one beer at a time. And most people only brew a few times a year. Um, you know, I, there are people who brew all the time, but it's easy to clean and sanitize. So it makes a lot of fun. What have been some of your favorite experiences as, so you obviously come a long way since you started your homebrewing journey. What have been some of your favorite experiences just being somebody who kind of came from that and really taught yourself? Um, well, the, the fun, fun thing is like, I didn't know the things that I wasn't supposed to do when I was uh, started brewing professionally. Like, you know, if you grow up, if you come up in it, you kind of know, like, don't do this and don't do that. So in some ways I was, there's certain things I, I've done where now people look at it, can't believe I, I did that. Like I use lots of yeast. Probably not the great idea because you could get cross-contamination. Uh, some things I learned the hard way, like the first time I kegged a beer, I really didn't know how. I had read about it and I had the theory of how it was done, but I never actually saw it done. So it was kind of, it was, it was a lot of fun that time getting a keg beer from the fermenter into kegs and uh, really just kind of figuring it out as we went and getting better as we went and figuring carbonation levels. That's the one thing when you're home brewer, you don't really do too much about carbonation, but when you're professionally brewing and you're putting it cans and kegs and sitting at the restaurants, no one wants over-carbonated beer or flat beer. Uh, and that, that's something that no one, you don't really worry about too much when you're home brewing. Uh, the other thing we didn't talk about home brewing is bottling. So the beer ferments out, it's done fermenting. What do you do next? 
I usually let it sit for seven days or so, let it clarify, and then you gotta take it out of the fermenter and put it in the bottles. When you do that, you take the beer out of your fermentation vessel, you put it into a bottling bucket that's got a little spigot at the bottom with a hose that runs into the bottles. You would add sugar to the wort or to the beer now because the way it carbonates in the bottles is the yeast, the sugar reactivates the yeast that's left in the beer and ferments to cause the bottles to become carbonated. That's tricky. If you overcarbonate it, the bottles explode, um, which we have some good stories of people putting bottles in their closets and middle of the night, you hear all these pops and 12 <laughs> bottles explode in your clothes in the closet. Oh no. <laughs> And, but that's that's how you do that. The other option is as you get more advanced and you do it, and you realize cleaning, you know, if you do five gallons of beer, you get about three cases. So cleaning all those bottles isn't fun. Uh, you move the kegging and you get a little kegerator and you get five gallon Pepsi or Coke kegs and you put the beer in there. It's faster to carbonate. And you don't have to worry about exploding or cleaning all those bottles. That's cool. Then you also just can have it right on tap for you, right? Yes. I used to before I started brewery, I had a kegerator with three taps. I always had three beers on tap at home. That's awesome. So now they're mostly empty. <laughs> well, you got a whole big selection of beers, you know, at your disposal with Island Dog. So you don't really need to do too much at home. You can experiment <laughs> on a big scale there. Um, how much space do you think you, this equipment would take up? Like it's not great. Buckets. If you're just starting a basic thing, you need a, a bucket for fermentation, a bucket for bottling and a kettle, uh, a couple little hoses, but you don't need much to get going. As you get more advanced, it takes up more space. A lot of people move to their basements or move to like the garage. So they can spread it out more. Uh, but early on, it doesn't take a lot of space, especially when it's, we're not using it. It's kind of put it away and wait till next time. So the, the basic brewing is when you start with extract. Then once that kind of gets a little boring, you get used to it, you move to what's called partial mash. So you still use some extract, but you're adding some grains to it. Uh, the grains will add uh, more different flavors to the beer, body and color. So you might still use four pounds of extract, but you might use three pounds of specialty grains um, to kind of boost the beer up and really make it, you can make it a lot different using the grains and a lot better beer. Then the next step from there is you go to all grain which you start just with grains that are run through a group of mills where they're crushed. And that's when you have to add the mashing step. So then you need more equipment because you need a bucket for mashing and you need a bucket for hot water. And that, that takes it from about two to three hours to five to six hours. But you have a lot more control. You can, there's also a lot more room for mistakes. So really it's a hobby. You can start out simple. And I've seen people with super complicated homebrew setups with, you know, power and automatic controls and, you can really, you can do a lot. And uh, I'm assuming on the professional level with the brewing, it's all uh, full mash. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I, I just, I made a batch of our unit 15 Saison today, which will be out in about three or four weeks. Nice. You have any uh, updates on that Rye IPA? Um, we have to make it again. I think I might make it for October. Um, we're kind of planning for the fall. Things are in flux. We're not really sure what's going to happen. Um, how you know if we open or close? No one's really said if we can open inside yet, so we're kind of taking it slow and seeing how it goes. So just just a little bit of history. I don't know if any if you guys know this, but uh, home brewing was made illegal during prohibition, and even when they lifted the home a prohibition, uh, home brewing was illegal. It became legal in 1978. Jimmy Carter 
President Carter signed the law to make homebrewing legal in 1978. That's funny. It's weird how they end up missing some of those laws sometimes. <laughs> some yeah. Little sub pieces. So I, I'm sure, like I, when I was a kid, I made wine with my grandfather. Uh, he made his own wine, which technically was illegal in 1978 when they changed that law. Um, and that's kind of how I got started. And I, I like making the wine with him, but I like beer better than wine. So I, I, I actually had, I used some of his fermenters used for wines when I started with when I made started making beer. That's funny. So all alcohol, obviously, is basically a fermented drink. How different is that process from wine to beer? It's, it's making, I made wine when I home brewed as well. It's very similar. Uh, you start with juice, like grape juice, could be a fruit juice. You don't boil it because if you boil fruit, um, the pectins will set in the fruit and it becomes more like a jelly uh, than a liquid. But you would start with your grape juice or raspberry, a mixture, you add yeast to it and ferments out and you make wine. It's actually a pretty easy thing. But wine has to age a lot longer. So beer, you may age in a bottle two or three weeks. Wine, you need to let it sit a lot longer. I also made mead when I home brewed, which is honey, similar to wine. You heat it up, you add it, but mead, you need to let it sit a year, six months to a year. So you have to have a lot of patience to make mead. And I recently just found some bottles of mead that I made eight years ago, uh, some blueberry mead. It's much better now than it was when I first made it. Yep, because it was able to sort of age out and sort of become a little more complex. That is pretty cool. You don't you don't hear a lot about mead. We actually have a meadery near our near our home, and I'm like I before we were here, I had never really heard of it. But it's such a cool process and such a cool product. So it's it's neat that you've kind of had your hand in so many different things. Yeah, when when you start when you start really starting in a home brewing and read about it, they're, they're all similar. And I really want to try mead was something that was big in the Middle Ages and disappeared for almost a long time, and now it kind of made a resurgence. There's there's three or four meaderies in Maine. Um, that makes some really good mead. That's, that's really kind of, it's kind of fun to try, but mead's a lot stronger. It's more like wine strength, so you have to be careful. <laughs> yeah. With the beer drinkability. Or do you have any favorite resources that you turn to for homebrew and whether books or websites or blogs or anything like that? So when I got started, like I said, the internet was fairly new. There wasn't a lot of information out there. And I actually read a book, uh, The New Complete Joy of Home Brewing, written by Charlie Papazan. He's kind of like the father of home brewing. He started the first brewer association back when the law changed. And he's been really involved. He just retired recently. He wrote a bunch of books. And he was really big push for home brewing and, and just be, uh, beer in general. And that's a great book. Uh, it, he goes through the science. Um, but I'm not a chemist or a biologist, so my science background is limited to what I, you know, some courses in college and high school. But he does a great job of breaking it down in a way that's easy to understand. Um, and he has a couple books. And then I, I probably read 10 or 12 different books on homebrewing more advanced as I, as I did more things. And now with the internet, there's, there's no end of sites that you can find. And again, the guys down at... Um, Main brewing supply are really good, really helpful. So you can go in there and tell them that you started and you and they'll make sure you get everything you need for your first batch. You can, if you're successful in your first batch, then your next batch is, you know, then you want to start. If your first batch doesn't come out good, then a lot of people don't want to keep doing it. Yes, you want to make sure that first one comes there. I actually noticed them. I was driving by recently, a couple of weeks ago for the first time, and I saw them. And uh, definitely somewhere I'm going to have to stop in and 
hopefully start doing my own home brewing soon. We'll see. I got to carve out some space in the apartment to keep it all. <laughs> it's tough when you don't have a small apartment, but you, yeah. you can. You, you don't, the, if you do a basic setup, you don't need that much room. And it's, it's a lot of fun, especially living up in this area where there's so much good beer. You can try to emulate other beers or do your own or say, hey, I kind of you know, like this. And you'll kind of see like what, what I learned from home brewing is what mix of different grains and hops taste like. Cause there's lots of different kinds of grain. You start with something basic and the, you know, you take a, a basic pale malt. Oh, you look out there's probably six different kinds of pale, all a little bit different. And then they crit, they heat it up. So it's come a crystal malt and there's 10 or 15 varieties of that. And there's German and English and American and they all taste a little bit different. And when you kind of put them all together, it's, it makes a lot of fun. You can really get a lot of cool flavors from the malt. It's not always just about the hops. Yeah, the hops are important too. Yep. Do you do you find that a lot of the people that you know work for you or that you've met in the industry are kind of starting with home brewing, or is that really unique to you? No, I, a lot of them definitely were home brewers from I talked to. Even some of the people like who are not professional brewers started talked to them. They they tried it when they were college, or they tried it a few times. Uh, that's not true for everyone, but I know like. Um, some of the big brewers, Austin Street and Mass Lane, those guys all started as home brewing. Rising Tide was a home brewer. Um, so I, a lot of them, it's kind of, it's a, it's a good way to start and find out that you really, uh, that you really like making beer because it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of cleaning, but it's fun. As I brew today, and my most of fun day is, is brew day. And that's uh, something that we found a commonality with some of the other breweries that we've talked to before as well, where, you know, they start small and they just keep on a personal level, ramping up and then, you know, canning and stuff or bottling for friends and family. And then, okay, we got to do something with this. They bring in more people and then they launch their breweries. So I do definitely think that uh, you see a lot of them starting off as home brewers. That's where yeah, that especially is. start your own. If you go to work for someone, I know people who worked their way up as well, but I know a lot of them still homebrew once in a while. You know, you kind of, you just, where you find out you really like beer and like the process of making beer. And I do think it'd be really cool to learn and kind of be able to experiment with all the different ingredients as well, because I know for myself, you know, I know a bit, I'm definitely not a complete new when it comes to learning about beers and everything and reading the cans, but some of the ingredients that you see is just such a variety that it's impossible to try everything and have a recollection. It's like, oh, this beer had this, 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 and this. So this maybe, yeah. So being able to actually experiment and make it yourself. Be cool. And one of the things that I did, everyone doesn't do this. Uh, my partner, Tim Homebrew, he never kept any recipes. I have every recipe going back to the first beer I made. I had a big binder and I would just add, so I could look back and say, well, I remember that beer because two years ago, what did I put in it? I liked it or I didn't like it. I always put notes and it kind of helps you grow. And if you make a mistake or you do something really good or really bad, you know, not to do that next time. And I think that's, especially early on, it's good to take some notes and just kind of keep track of what you're making and what you did so you can duplicate it again. That's definitely a good idea. And I know I, for myself, I do that in the kitchen a lot. Whenever trying to do recipe or cooking, I always like to write it down so I can always go back to the well. Cause if you did it that way, the first time when it came out good, it's really hard to mess it up again. But. And there's like, you know, when I, when I, like I said, when I started early on, beers were kind of, I mean, you'd lager, do some ales, and you realize that you can put almost anything in the beer. I mean, you know, you've seen beer with, with uh, marshmallows from like cereals in it and professional beers. And you can really kind of try all different things. Any kind of spice you have or you like spicy beer or sweet. There's just so much stuff you can do when you're homebrewing and have a lot of fun. My wife likes cloves. 
So a few years ago, I was homebrewing. She said, you should make a beer with clove. And I'm like, okay. So I made, it was kind of like an amber ale. I put five cloves, five, in the boil for the last five minutes. That beer tasted like you were chewing on a clove. That's what I learned. When you have spices, you have to go really easy. Like you use almost nothing. Even on some of my big batch, about 150 gallons of beer, I'll put four or five ounces of spice in and you can taste it. It doesn't always take much for that flavor to come through. Um, that, that's when you learn, like oh, a little, a little bit can be too much. I, we drank the clove beer, but it was not good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you made it, you got to drink it, right? <laughs> yes. We found that after you had three of them, you didn't notice the clove so much. You couldn't taste anything else either, but you didn't notice the clove as much. So what are some of your other favorite resources for home brewers outside of um, just where to purchase the, like the stuff that you need, the equipment that you need. Are there websites that are kind of like their go-tos? Of course, your homebrew club is definitely an essential resource, but are there other places you'd recommend they go? Yes, there are, there are some really good websites. Uh, Zymergy, which is a magazine and a website. They've been around um, for 20, 30, I think, I think shortly after the law change, they, they magazine started. And that's a really good resource. They have a website, tons of good. I still get that magazine. I'll find things in there that's helpful. They, the latest episode, they break down, they talk about all kinds of hops and home brewing and all of, all the things you can do with hops, which is a lot of fun. Um, brew your, wait a minute, brew your own beer. That is another magazine I get. I can't remember the name of it now. Uh, and then there's just good sites like uh, More Beer is a online site uh, to buy equipment, but they have tons of information. Uh, you can find all kinds of stuff about uh, the hops and grains and the yeast and uh, those, those are also really good resources. So with the internet, it makes it so much easier now to get information about making beer. And I'm sure YouTube's a big friend to a lot of home brewers just starting out as well. Yes, um, yeah, there's a couple good YouTube channels. There's, there was one where the professional brewer was doing that. I watched quite a few videos when I first started. They were just talking about cleaning and stuff that I had read about but hadn't seen. Uh, that was actually helpful. There's, there's a lot, there's yeah, tons of good stuff out there now. And homebrew clubs, whether it's uh, one of the local ones, there's a couple different local ones in Portland um, and ours and a couple, there's I think another brewery has uh, some homebrew clubs that meet there. That's a great way to talk to people and try things. And if you have a beer that doesn't taste good, you can bring it there and they, they people have done the same thing and they'll kind of tell you what you did wrong or right. And those, those are great resources and it's a lot of fun. What's your biggest horror story? Have you ever had uh, one beer get brought into the home brewer club or that you've made that just turned out absolutely abominably? Other than the clove beer, I had one beer that I dumped once. I think it got infected a long time ago on homebrew. It was a brown ale and it had a weird flavor to it. I don't remember exactly what the flavor was, but it was, I was really bummed out and I just dumped it down the drain. Uh, that, you, that was probably because either the fermenter was contaminated or the yeast was old, which is a big problem if you use dry yeast, you, know, you make sure you check, check the dates, you're not using something that's too old. Um, we've had a couple of people bring in beer that like had penny taste or was, wasn't supposed to be sour, but was. And you know, you kind of try and you can, there's a couple of good guides. Uh, Beersmith is a really good, they have a app that you can use to build your own recipes and tons of information. Uh, from them. I use it a lot when I was home brewing and they have a mailing list and every month they send out something. Uh, I'm still on it and I got some stuff about the clarifying beer. So every month you get some kind of information from them. 
and uh, you can build your, it makes it a nice place to build your own recipes. Very cool. We'll have to check that out. I might have to start homebrew. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> what do you think, Nick? Do you think I'd be good at it? I don't think we, uh, either of us have the room, but maybe we started at mom and dad's house. <laughs> True. We'll take no. over their basement. <laughs> Get rid of the office. I don't need an office. I'll just work in the kitchen. Yeah, you could, yeah, brew, brew, brew right in the office. <laughs> yeah. It would make when, for, for entertaining backgrounds in my uh, Zoom calls. Yes. When I, when I started, I just started my first couple batches in the kitchen. And uh, when I was living in Buffalo, I had a big house with an attic and I had, it was like a full walk attic. I turned a third of my attic into my brewery where I could keep everything and I could make everything up there. I even put an AC in the window for the summer so it wouldn't be too hot when I was fermenting beers. Because uh, temperature matters a lot when you're fermenting. But it gets too warm, you get off flavors and can actually kill the yeast. Uh, so you, know, you, gotta, you, gotta, you try to find a place that's not too warm. That's why basements are really good places for fermentation. Usually the temperature in summer is a great, it's a good place to ferment. And then when I moved to Maine and I moved in my and I moved in my wife, I built a room in the basement just for brewing beer that I could keep the animals out of. And again, I could kind of control the temperature and keep it really nice and clean. As clean is the key. So I tell everyone people have a problem or any questions, like you gotta make sure you clean everything. What's your favorite kind of beer style? That's a tough one. The one that I will always, always gravitate to if I'm in a restaurant and I see it on the menu tends to be like a wheat ale. I just love that thick, unfiltered wheat ale. I mean, starting from, you know, before I was as well versed in the craft beer scene, just like a blue moon. It's like a simple one like that. But that tends to be one that really excites me if I see that on a beer menu or anything. And I feel like you don't see as many of them, especially now, you know, everyone's IPAs, New England IPAs and everything are all over the place. Every now and again, you get something different, but it's got to be either that or then, you know, I always go back to the well and like an IPA or something, but I always enjoy seeing just random ones that you don't see a lot popping up. I pretty much love anything fruity and anything sour. <laughs> <laughs> anything with like a lot of like bold flavor i don't really like anything like super heavy um and a light beer just a nice light you know beer is good in the summer when it's just for something refreshing um but yeah i love anything fruity like your your blueberry is great um thank you and i just love any sours really just... we, we do have a sour version of that one now because people kept asking i'm gonna have to try blueberry. it <laughs> When I go, I'll be the tomorrow, top of my list. <laughs> I'm gonna go pick up that pumpkin maple, and I'll have to pick up some of that for Bianca too. Yeah, I'm not big on the pumpkin, but you know, we we I always like talk to people about that because I've never really been like the pumpkin beer person, and I've always tried it, and I just can't, it just can't get on. I don't know something about the flavor. I just never really liked it. <laughs> but you know, every other fruit or you know, like flavor and beers, I pretty much enjoy. So. I don't know. Maybe you don't drink a lot of pumpkin spice lattes in fall. Nothing. No. <laughs> I guess I just don't like pumpkin. I like how they look, but taste. Uh, maybe apple. <laughs> I don't know if they make apple and apple beers, but I'd like. They it. do, and I made some half like when I was home brewing, a mix of cider and beer. That's the other thing you can make home brewing is uh, hard ciders, which are a lot of fun. Uh, when I lived in New York, there was a lot of. Uh, cider mills and apple farms. So you actually go and buy their unfiltered 
unpasteurized cider and then you can come home and that's really easy just put it in a fermenter with some yeast and it ferments out you don't have to do much at all and i would throw some cinnamon sticks in there and just let it sit for a while and you would have a really nice hard cider which is kind of fun to drink that's awesome yeah we both i think both of us love a good cider yes Nothing too sweet, but just like the perfect mix Obviously, with fall coming around, pumpkins have been everywhere. One that we just picked up recently is uh, the Down East Pumpkin Cider, which uh, yes. is it definitely, that's a good one. It's not overly pumpkin-y. It's not too sweet. It's just a really good, easy drink one. So that's fun. But cider is definitely something that I never really considered doing on like a home brewer level. And I also never considered when it comes to, you know, wine and apple and stuff, that you can start with a juice and really do it and skip the whole step of doing all the crushing the grapes or mashing up the apples or something like that too and it definitely would make it a lot faster do you have yeah, the, you could... go ahead i was gonna ask with uh that so it's just straight into the fermenter obviously there's no heating or anything with the apple just like with the other juices right no you get put it right in the fermenter um and you add some yeast and you could do some different flavors with it you could move you can make some juice in it or just do a straight apple cider and, uh, and depending on what yeast you use, you can either leave the cider sweet because the yeast, certain yeast will only go to a certain alcohol level and then they'll stop producing. So you can make a, you can use like a champagne yeast and it really dry it out and have a lot more alcohol. Or if you use a beer yeast or a, a, or a cider yeast, the sweet cider yeast will, will stop earlier. So it leaves more unfermented sugars. So you get that sweet flavor. Um, in, in your inner cider. The other, the other thing you can do too is you can use maple syrup. Um, I've actually made where I just used maple syrup so it's kind of like maple syrup wine. Um, that was really good but it was like 16% alcohol. I put it on tap when I was on you had to be really careful when you gave people like, it tastes really good but you can't drink a lot of it. How did you do that uh, quantity wise? What Did you have to mix the syrup with something or uh, I, I boiled the syrup in five gallons of water. I think I used like three, two or three gallons. It was a long time ago. I had a, a cousin that had a uh, maple farm and I talked to him and he's like, oh yeah, come on out and pick up some cider because it's expensive. I'm not cider, uh, maple syrup. And, uh, but it came out really good. It was, I only did it the one time. It had a nice maple flavor. It was a little sweet, but I think it was like 12 or 14% alcohol. It was kind of a fun thing to do and I put it, in, uh, in a keg, so it came out carbonated and like sparkling maple wine is kind of what it was like. That's a really cool, different type of drink. Yeah, you can do a lot of fun things when you're home brewing. It's, there's no rules, there's nothing nothing wrong. You mix anything you want together. And that's what, it's, it's kind of like cooking, you know, where you can make your flavors, but I'm not a great cook, but I'm much better at making beer. All right. So on that note, we won't keep you much longer than that. Before you go, is there anything else you want to leave off on uh, for people getting into this for the first time? Yeah, don't don't sweat it too much. Um, get it, find a good source to read a little bit on the internet, a little YouTube video. Just make sure things are clean. Make a nice basic beer. Don't get too complicated and just relax. It's, you're making beer. It should be fun. Awesome. We'll Love be that. sure to do that. Uh, thank you so much for coming back out and talk to us again. We always enjoy talking to you. Cheers. Yes. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Be sure to follow us on social at Uncorked Corner and on the blog at uncorkedcorner.com for a taste of more food and beverage content. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a comment, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening.